0: WSBU or Treasure Coast Broadcasters. Any reproduction or reuse of this program?
1: I'm Dr. Leanne Talton, and our show today is called Youth, It's Not Just for the Young. And we are really excited about this show because it is a new and hot topic, which is bioidentical hormone replacement, preventive, and innovative medicine. Mm -hmm. This is an important and hot topic for patients. It's definitely something that patients are talking to me about in the primary care office. And sometimes it's a controversial topic for physicians. And so today we are really lucky to have a renowned expert who just happens to be a beloved and local physician, Dr. Neil Bolin. Good morning, Dr. Bolin.
2: Good morning, Leah.
1: And um, of course, my lovely co-host, Dr. Ira Pearlstein, is here. Good morning.
0: Uh, Good morning. You know
1: what?
0: (laughs) What? I I have this all wrong. You have Dr. Boland here. I have that our guest is Ponce de Leon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm hanging on. I'm
1: hanging on for
0: this joke. We, we brought in the fountain of youth. You, look at that? <laughs> you know, Dr. Boland, <laughs> and then for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, Dr. Boland looks 35. I think you're actually 90.
2: 68. Okay.
1: So, okay, so Dr. Boland, I have something special. So uh, for those of you who do not know, which I think is none of you, um, Dr. Boland and I have known each other my whole life because you delivered me.
2: I did. And I found what the I, pictures
1: to prove it. Oh my it. goodness. Yeah. So I went home and said, Mom, do we have any pictures of Dr. Boll? And she says, you know, we do. So <laughs> there they are. So here I'm showing you pictures of me, I guess, you pulling me out. I was a C-section. I was, and there you are in your
0: scrubs.
2: I was 15 at that time. You're right. yes. <laughs> <laughs> the fastest graduate.
0: So I have, a, I have the first question for Dr. Boll. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dr. Neil Boll. Birth is a difficult process. Yes. Is Dr. Carlton still difficult?
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's gotten better with time though.
0: So. <laughs>
1: yeah so you know that they were before the show we were all sitting here having our pre-show conversation and the two of you have known each other for a long time as well because you came to town in
2: 1981
1: aha uh-huh, and dr Pearlstein you came to town in
2: 1987.
1: all right i came to town in 1983 that's that's the year of my birth but wow. anyway so you've wow. known each other for a while and so tell us about that
2: so i was 31 when we delivered you <laughs> 31 years old wow know, yeah uh, well, as far as my history, I finished uh, medical school at Emory University School of Medicine in 1977, did my internship and residency at uh, Emory University Great Affiliated Hospitals in, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, came here as a neophyte 29-year-old resident of Sewell's Point and began working with Dr. Robert Perret and his group, uh, who already, w- which was the first established OBGYN group in Stewart, the very first one. And uh, Dr. Gray since passed away, and our partners merged into another group in 1997. We formed a Women's Health Specialist. I became the clinical director there. And uh, we, um, we were covering three counties at that time. Uh, back in 1983, when you were a neophyte, um, uh, there were only seven obstetricians at that time, and three of them dropped out. And we were four doctors who were called 24 7 for several years before we added more physicians. So it's been it's been a wonderful evolution of uh, delivering babies. I stopped stopped delivering babies in 2002 because I wanted to pursue hormonal therapy.
0: And how many births were you doing a year back in the 1980s?
2: Martin Memorial was doing approximately, its, I believe in the late 80s, early 90s, was doing around 2000 a year, which is quite remarkable for a town of this size because we were attracting mainly Port St. Lucie's population as well. How many babies do you think you've delivered? They say about 5,000. I'm not quite sure, but that's what my secretary is calling me.
1: And you run so, into them all the
2: time. I, it's wonderful, and that's one of the great things about living in Stewart. Everybody knows everybody, and it's, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, a, it's a great town to live in. So literally, literally, you've delivered a small town. Well, uh, <laughs> I guess you could say that. Uh, yeah.
0: I've looked at yeah. your CV. It's quite impressive. In fact, it's a textbook. <laughs>
2: what do you do in your spare time? Well, it's funny. I'm I'm training for a bike ride between uh, Homestead, Florida, and Key West a bike bike race actually in December, and I'm training for that with a local friend of mine. And uh, I play sax in my spare time. We, as you know, we we formed a rock and roll band. I guess
0: about 1999, and
2: uh, we we're known as the Rhythm Doctors at that time. We started as the Nots and uh, we became incredibly um, just busy playing all over Florida. I was a sax man. And uh, we evolved into a chick section, a horn section, and really just uh, uh, was quite interesting playing a lot of charity gigs and doing a lot of great, great things at that time. We enjoyed doing it, but, you know, all rock and roll bands either have to grow or they're going to die, and that we all went our separate ways, but all of them are still around, and we're doing great. So He's our second yeah. artist
1: with the Dr. Van group we had on the show. Our first guest was Dr. Jason McManus and he
0: was in
1: a doctor band. I feel so inadequate. I know, I know. You, I, I noticed you play the piano and you like made it sound very, you know, a novice piano player, No, I just novice.
0: pretend the piano. just <laughs> pretend.
1: Well, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to practice OBGYN? I mean, you're here today to talk about bioidentical hormones, but we've never had an OBGYN on the it's, show. It, what it, has changed?
2: Everything has changed. Yeah, you know, We were back in the 1983, I remember our most challenging case was a set of premature triplets. Um, and Martin Memorial had, did not have a, anything higher than a level one nursery at that time. We had to individually fly those triplets, the pediatricians individually helicoptered or flew them to Tampa individually back and forth. Uh, we would fly with babies and mothers in premature labor. Um, and actually I remember my partner actually, uh, sat down in a cow field in Okeechobee and delivered a premature baby from a helicopter. Um, I flew uh, patients back and forth to Atlanta. We had no way to transfer babies at that time. Um, obstetrics was quite difficult, uh, as it was the accessory uh, accessibility to uh, surgical specialists, such as geo-oncology and reproductive endocrinology and fetal maternal medicine. We had consultations available on my phone, but geographically, we were challenged. This was a small town. Um, and it was quite, it was quite challenging. We evolved Martin Memorial into a level two nursery at that time. We're very proud of that. We brought in the neonatology group from West Palm beach. Um, and we're taking care of babies, I believe up to, I think around 32 weeks. Um, and, and, otherwise it'd have to be transferred, but it was quite different at that, at that time.
0: Cesarean section.
2: Right. At one time, plus minus,
0: then it seemed like every birth was a cesarean section. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like we're getting away from cesarean sections again, even if you've already had a cesarean Mm -hmm. section with VBACs, vaginal birth after cesarean section. What are your feelings on cesarean section and why are we doing less
2: now than before? I'm not sure we're doing less. I think we might even be doing more. Um, um when I trained at Emory, our cesarean section rate at large hospital was 15%. Now, back in the mid 80s as department chairman, I traveled to Orlando to a national group meeting in which we tried to actually lower that group down, the percent down to 11 or 12%. And unfortunately, that was a huge mistake because we began noticing more morbidity and mortality at the lower C-section rates. I think the tendency now uh, has been to uh, perform even less VBACs because VBACs are now deemed quite dangerous if you don't have immediate readily accessibility to a uh, to anesthesia and to be able to, to uh, induce a patient under anesthesia. And I think cesarean, rates, cesarean section rates can be around, they can be 25% of major hospitals now. I know in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, the C-section rate is 90% because the obstetricians um don't want to be out at
1: night so yeah (laughs) so So. you did this this grueling work of you know having basically no predictability of what your next day and day after are going to be like because babies come whenever they want emergencies happen providing emergency room coverage for gynecologic patients so you did that for a long time and when did you start of to
2: form an exit strategy? Well, That's a great question. I I did it for 27 years, Um, uh, evolved into more of a hormonal practice around 2002. And if I might be allowed to go into how we transitioned into more hormones, um, my practice fundamentally changed around 2002 with the advent of the Women's Health Initiative study. Um, This was a very, very uh, large study, very well publicized. Uh, findings were actually released to the public without any type of scientific review. Uh, It was a generalized study, uh, and they studied essentially low-risk and high-risk patients, but the conclusions were were, uh, related to uh, all patients, and they essentially said hormones were dangerous because they caused increased heart attack, stroke, dementia, and breast cancer. Unfortunately, what they did was they were using a What's called conjugated equine estrogen and a carcinogenic progestin called medroxyprogesterone acetate. Unfortunately, the media picked this up. Everybody threw away their hormones. And essentially, within two weeks, our patients experienced at least horrible quality of life and were absolutely sweating themselves to death and they were miserable. So, for our and listeners, the conjugated
0: equine estrogen, which is really horse BP. The estrogen is derived from horse urine, and our listeners know that as primarine, which is a contraction for pregnant
2: mares' urine. Correct. Uh, um, and the, the problem that we all had with the study was that uh, Primarin uh, is not necessarily the best uh, drug out there and progesterone really is, has really gone out of favor dramatically over the years in favor of the bioidentical hormones estradiol and uh, bioidentical progesterone, which are a, a human female's native hormones, nothing worse with that. It turns out that you know, Primarin is essentially about 15% estradiol, Uh, It is about um, 50% estrone, which is essentially a bad estrogen. The remainder is uh, a conglomeration of horse estrogens, which are not native to humans. And this can cause uh, increased problems. Uh, So So when patients come in and say,
0: I want bioidentical hormones, what do doctors need to tell their patients? What do patients need to understand about bioidentical hormones as far as do they mimic the normal cycle? Are they different because of chemical composition? Explain that.
2: Great question. Estradiol is is a woman's natural estrogen and uh, progesterone is her natural progesterone. There are actually 26 or 27 bioidentical FDA-approved medications, and yet the national societies want to blur that and say bioidentical hormones have never been proven to be safe. Now, I have about a two-foot stack of articles, uh, some of which are published on my website, www.bioidentical-hrt.org. Um, that established the safety of estradiol and safety of natural progesterone. Um, And um, the difference is that these hormones are derived from things such as soy and yams, and they're chemically totally identical to what a woman makes. That's exactly why it's so safe. There are some caveats and a doctor has to be skilled and trained in how to use those drugs.
1: So what happened? It was 2002. Mm-hmm. You were seeing that people were getting some benefit from right. pharmaceutical grade hormone mm-hmm. replacement treatment. But did what we, happened? Did we you started, see that there was bioidenticals becoming yes, available?
2: Yes. And you became uh, and, interested And actually, in those drugs have been around for a long period of time. premarin has been around since the 1940s. Estradol uh, has been around for a significant part of that time. It's just that Permarin, um and its company, Wya, and now Pfizer, um, uh, began to uh, advertise more and doctors gravitated more to it. But it turned out that primarine really was the bad actor. What does that mean? It means that primarine is an inducer of uh, plaques, hard and soft plaques, and thereby uh, actually a contributory toward the heart attack, stroke, and dementia aspects. Unfortunately, the progesterone, the bi- with the non biidentical or synthetic progesterone, progesterone acetate, increases your risk of breast cancer about 40 percent so you've got a really bad combination of drugs um Primarin by itself actually decreases your risk of breast cancer about eight percent according to that arm of the women's health Initiative study so at that time i realized there was so much confusion i got tired of people trailing me out in my truck at six o'clock in the afternoon when i left my office i wrote a book called menopause just the facts man with uh, my co-author local linda Lavell. Um, and we attempted to set it straight about why the Women's Health Initiative was essentially wrong, and they tried to group patients as far as uh, one unique, all women fit into all categories. But it turns out there's quite a bit of difference between the younger patient who is healthy, normal weight, and exercises a lot with low risk factors such as no hyperglycemia, hyperlipidemia. Those patients do quite well in hormonal therapy. It turns out there is a magic window between about 52 and 60, such that if a woman starts hormones at that age and doesn't have a lot of risk factors, they will accumulate a protective effect over years and actually have a widening of the carotid arterial diameter. In other words, more blood flow to the brain and will actually have a decreased risk of breast cancer. And, you know, that's that's what's very, very important is to realize that hormones can actually be protective against breast cancer. One of our former guests said hormones cause cancer. I think a more accurate statement would be that that the wrong hormones used incorrectly can favor the diagnosis and, and favor, excuse me, favor the formation of estrogen-dependent malignancies. I think that's a more accurate statement. Super let's yeah. talk just a second about male
0: hormones. Yes. In women, androgens, testosterone, because testosterone is metabolized to estrogen, and women do make a small amount of testosterone. So when we talk bioidentically about adding estrogens, about adding progesterones, when do you throw testosterone in the mix for women to increase muscle tone,
2: increase libido, and are all women candidates for that? What a great question. Um, you know, I see, a, um, I'd like to predicate this with some scientific evidence Is really now taught in AMA courses. Um, you know, we're all taught that, say, the the acceptable, quote, normal range is 2-45 for women. Unfortunately, anywhere in that range, a lot of women, as they age, really become, their testosterone receptors become more and more insensitive, and the testosterone receptors age much like the free T3 receptors do in the thyroid. And it turns out that if you use testosterone in what's called a supraphysiologic concentration, and I'm going to just tell you that would be more in the 200-300 range for women, all of a sudden, magical things happen that, that doctors cannot really grasp yet. But I've been doing this full time for many years. And what are those things? Improvements in energy, improvements in depression and anxiety. Improved sleep, sleep density, REM sleep, dreaming, dreaming in color, waking up, feeling a lot more refreshed, transformation of less fat into more muscle, eventually weight loss, improved bone density, uh, improved um, uh, bone and joint pain, improvement in lipids. And we're talking about all four of the major values. Uh, we're talking about a lowering of the envelope of A1C, about 15% within the first 12 months. A 30% drop in Alzheimer's disease, we're going to say. And that's testosterone alone, and that's also primer, excuse me, that's estradiol alone. Um, and, and these types of things are trying to be achieved <clears throat> with other drugs that try to treat symptoms. When in actuality, it's not a Prozac or a Zoloft deficiency. It is not a deficiency of a Lipitor. It is a deficiency of testosterone. 60 um, percent. We're seeing that at least 60 percent of our postmenopausal depression can be almost cured with testosterone. Our objective is to deprescribe medication, much to somewhat the chagrin of our local practitioners, because they realize they might be wrong, and that's I find that quite uh, quite a change, a sea change.
1: So I have a question. Let me let me go back here. So it's very clear to me that you have been passionate about taking care of women and what's important to women throughout your entire career. And then in 2002, decided that we weren't doing right by women in the way we were handling their post and sometimes premenopausal states. And so you just decided that you needed to embark on...
2: Well, what, what happened, unfortunately, my dear wife Stella died of lung cancer. Um, I had to take some time off and... I, I, at that time, I just felt absolutely miserable, and I, I, uh, everything was going south. I mean, my, I was gaining weight. I was depressed, anxious. I couldn't sleep, the muscle mass. I, I could ride five miles on a bike and I'd spent five days recovering from it. And I said, you know, I went to my doctor and I said, check my testosterone. was well, 320, but my free testosterone was really, really low. And I, I insisted that was checked. And he says, well, you know, you can go on injections. I don't feel strongly about it, but, um, you know, you can, you can still do it. And I, and I said, I don't want to get injections. I said, I want pellets. I'm going to go to Texas because I want to learn about the pharmacokinetics of that. I got pelleted. It changed my life. Within six weeks, I was ready to go. I was quick and decisive. Everything got better. And it changed my life. And I said, we have got to bring medicine into the 21st century.
0: Now, for our listeners, free testosterone. That has nothing to do with the price of it. Right. That has to do with the fact that it's not protein-bound. And the free testosterone is the actually active form of testosterone. So, to our listeners again, do you recommend when they have their testosterone levels checked that
2: they check both their total and their free testosterone? That is absolutely critical, uh, because so often I see patients referred to me um primarily by doctors who realize that this patient needs help and no one's they've been turned down by doctor after doctor after doctor because they're either borderline at 400 Um, modern medicine's sort of quote guidelines say you use the 300 level total testosterone uh, for administration of testosterone which is essentially a very arbitrary number of an imprecise test um, that is very difficult to measure. Anyway, no one's checking the free testosterones. So when when we re- are referred patients, we check that number of the, of the total of the free. If the free testosterone is under 100, those patients generally will benefit by significantly increasing the total testosterone, and that would that would that makes men that essentially essentially changes the way men feel dramatically.
0: And the main hormone
2: that is not associated with the
0: free, I would imagine, or the main. Uh, protein that it binds to is sex hormone binding globulin. That's correct. But I was under the impression also that there is another way to check testosterone. and It's a bioavailable testosterone that's neither the free nor the total testosterone. The bioavailable takes out the sex hormone binding globulin, but it shows other proteins such as uh, the globulins that the testosterone may be bound to. What, Correct.
2: which number is the most important for you? This it, is the free testosterone. It turns out that only about two to three percent of the testosterone is actually free. Uh, about fifty percent of it is loosely bound to albumin, and the rest of it is t- tightly bound to sex and binding globulin. The key is to to make it separate from the sex hormone binding globulin by increasing the dose or administering. Nutraceuticals to improve that and it makes a dramatic difference in Lagin and
0: Dr. Neil Baldwin, you are phenomenal at this. We're gonna take a quick break. We're right here at WSTU. You're listening to Paradox. We'll be back in one minute. We're halfway there. You're doing uh, great, uh,
2: man. It's, it's you know, it, it's like it, like it's only sort of like five minutes ago. Yeah. I like how you guys are kind of triggering me to, to bring in new points, and and I really this is some the free testosterone is critical for men. I'd like you to bring up the, the low quality low quality life female that we see. Yeah, That's I'm going to get
1: one. into that. So why so don't you
0: open that up? Enough, yeah, well, since we're still on testosterone. Yeah, let me. I have an idea. And then well, we're going to talk about pellets versus sure, creams versus sure. pills, which is better and what. <laughs> sure. I'm going to
1: take. I'm going to take a. A roundabout
0: way to get back there okay, okay. How, how am i doing am We're i doing oh my god see
1: we already knew we don't
0: that, even need to be here
1: so we already knew so so because you know i spent what i spend like an hour in your office sure. that one day and then you know i can it's easy to follow your train of thought yeah like, we already know how you're going to get there so good. we can just do a good job getting you set up for
0: it yeah you set, you guys sure. set
2: me up perfectly and I, okay. I, I appreciate you guys helping cover the majority of points the free testosterone in men is critical. I think we've already covered that, in guys. And if you, you I've got guys walking in at 700, eight hundred that don't want to have sex, and the reason why is they've got a free testosterone of forty-five. It's got to be a hundred. When you raise it over hundred, all of a sudden they turn into Tarzan. They feel so much better. <laughs> and I, you know, one thing I want to emphasize: we're not here. Yes, Frank, make note. I've got to get that chandelier fast. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so we're. I'm gonna move back. Now but I'm going to do it roundabout. You'll feel follow.
0: 10 seconds. God, it's just one by quickly. I know. Five, three, two, one.
1: Welcome back to our show, which is youth. It's not just for the young. And today our guest is Dr. Mia Boland. And before we took our break, Dr. Bolin was getting into the nitty-gritty about exactly what he does biochemically for these needy patients. And for those of you who have been listening, I, I imagine that you can't help but feel like, gosh, this guy is talking about everything that's been wrong with me. For the last, you know, 10, 15 years, why didn't anyone else know? And so, before we get back to exactly where we were before, can you explain to us as fellow physicians and to all the listeners why isn't this accepted as general medical
2: recommendation? You know, I wish I knew. I, you know, we were always very pro hormone back in, back in the days around 2002 until the Moon Self Initiative has come, it w- was published. just been a sea change i think in training in medical schools a lot of doctors are not actually trained in hormonal medicine this goes back to medical school it goes back to residency training programs and and we're seeing doctors come out of school with one rule hormones cause cancer don't use them and that that is totally incorrect if we're going to change healthcare in the united states it's going to have to be with hormones because let's face it hormones drive the world they control reproduction sympathetic parasympathetic nervous systems our brains hearts bones livers adrenals and thyroid if you're not going to affect those those uh, organs and you're just going to cover up the symptoms you're not addressing the root problems and that's what we're trying to do in our practice
1: so these studies that you're referencing these stacks of studies that you have where is this information currently coming from how is this research being funded how who is doing the Numbers.
2: It, 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 it comes from a variety of national and international publications, things like Lancet, Maturitas, um, Obstetrics and Gynecology, the New England Journal of Medicine. All of these uh, renowned uh, journals do publish articles. For some reason, they tend to be overlooked. They're not integrated into the technical guidelines of our respective specialties. For example, the North American Metabolic Society, which I'm a member and certified by, uh, and the American College of OBGYN, and the American Academy of Political Endocrinologists. These organizations are about 20 years behind integrating current research into their technical guidelines. So patients are suffering. And I don't know about you, Leanne, I don't want to wait until I'm 87 years old to really get to the truth of medicine.
0: So Dr. Boland, why hasn't this gone
2: mainstream? Great question. I, I think um, there has been a there's there's media sensationalism in the fact that is it true? Isn't it true uh, in the media that if it if it bleeds, it leads. So if it bleeds, it leads. You got to make sure that patients listen. Oh, this is this is uh, uh, it, we, we have to increase our, our listenership or our, our subscribers, and they want to publish misinformation. Um, other reasons are are. Uh, pharmaceutical industries deliberately blur studies they rig studies in favor of their products what does that mean well i'm going to give you a certain dose of a medicine of my competitor i may fact, i manufacture certain drug, but my competitor makes another product but I'm going, to, I'm going to rig that study and give such a low dose it's going to guarantee that it will not work and these types of studies somehow get integrated they get into literature and we have we have inappropriate people interpreting the studies? I see a lot of
0: sleep apnea in my practice. I'm sure Dr. Talitha, sure. you see like, yeah, yeah, people have sleep apnea. And it's not just obesity or fatigue or uh, laxity of your palate. But I know, and I, I'm not sure which is first the chicken or the egg, you're gonna you're gonna straighten us out on that, that people that have sleep apnea, have low testosterone. And we know low testosterone causes sleep apnea. And in part, Sleep apnea causes low testosterone. So if we improve patient sleep apnea and then put them on testosterone, because you should always treat the sleep apnea first, We then the sleep apnea will get better and they'll feel better. But we got to get people from point A to point B. So now I'm a patient in your office, for instance, and I'm telling you, I have restless nights. I can't sleep at night. Uh, I snore, I, I wake up tired, I wake up with a headache. These are the complaints I hear in my office. How do you, as president of Treasure Coast Bioidentical
2: Institute, address that? I would have them see a neurologist, get their sleep apnea diagnosed and treated. polysomnography, have that addressed. But I would also, once that gets better and they're able to tolerate it and start sleeping better, I would administer testosterone in, in the ranges that do cause weight loss. What is that range? 900-1400. Um, for some reason, there's this this absolute um, obsession with 1,000 as being the top range, yet no one can actually tell you why 1,000 is, is the magic range. Did you know that the average gentleman on testosterone in our practice loses five belt sizes within 12 months of starting it? Can you imagine the loss of, of uh, uh, corporality around the neck? that is lost with that degree of, of testosterone. So yes, it is a treatment for it, but it is also a relative contraindication without treatment a diagnosis.
1: So, you know, Ira and, I, Ira and I strive to have very personal relationships with our patients. I mean, this is, this is the hallmark of what we do in direct primary care, is that we spend a lot of time talking to people. And I think for patients that don't necessarily have close relationships with their primary care physicians might be listening and saying, what he's saying sounds like something I'm interested in. Who is your typical patient? And I realize that you've now described men differently than females. So let's just break them down one at a time. Who is your typical female patient and the appropriate patient that should come to your
2: office? I see, that's a great question. I have a lot of patients coming from OBGYNs locally who follow the guidelines and see them once a year. Now, I have modified my practice into a modified concierge type practice, much like you. I'll see patients four to six times per year, can really follow them carefully with laboratory work. But here's my typical patient. It's a 55-year-old teacher uh, who is very overweight, who had sex in the last uh, century, who uh, has, who does not sleep at all. She's very depressed and anxious. Um, and and has gained fifteen to twenty pounds in the last year, and she says something is wrong about my body, and can you help me? And we can start changing lives with with modalities of therapy that we use. And for men, describe right?
1: your typical male patient.
2: Um, a male is coming in. He knows he doesn't feel right. He's been his testosterone is three twenty or three fifty or four hundred, and it just doesn't meet the criteria. And he has a relatively high sex of binding globulin when you actually test it and a low-free testosterone because remember the two are inversely proportional. And um, when you administer those patients, it really doesn't matter, Liam, what the total testosterone is. It's what the free testosterone actually is. That's the only part of the testosterone that the cell receptors actually um, engage in and have a biological effect. So these
1: patients come into your office and you your first Consultation
2: with them is typically how long? An hour. It's okay. been an hour. Of, of, we do a history and physical. We order laboratory work. We uh, that first visit is critical. A lot of these patients have come in. Um, I had a patient the other day had not had a mammogram in 20 years. Of Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry, and had never had never been checked for bracket testing. We do bracket testing on patients if they are high risk. If they have any colonoscopy, they need it. A lot of uh, A lot of my patients walk in with significant osteopenia and undiagnosed osteoporosis because they've been on steroids for a long period of time. We address those issues and make sure they're caught up with their healthcare screen as a very careful way to manage this. Then we do the laboratory work, we bring them back and we offer them dose algorithmically calculated dosages based upon kidney function, thyroid function and on weight and administer that and see how their body responds to that. And so what are you administering and how? To For that 55-year-old patient who has been menopausal for several years, uh, we're administering estradiol pellets and or um, testosterone. Pellets. And, and so
1: pellets is your main yes, mode of yes.
2: delivering your
1: recommended recommended hormone. Absolutely. Okay. And
2: if they have a uterus, they're going to get oral progesterone. We do not use progesterone creams because they're very poorly well absorbed in a lot of patients. It's a very large molecule and can't penetrate the skin. The big benefit of progesterone is improves significant sleep density. They feel so much better when they get sleep. The typical man would just administer testosterone. And which progesterone are you using? We're using um, well, there's a drug called Prometrium, which is bioidentical progesterone, or you can just order it generically.
1: And so these pellets are how big?
2: Um, they're about, in about, you know, a woman, they're about the size of a grain of rice, and they're placed subcutaneously in the upper middle buttock. Um, and they slowly dissolve. The pharmacokinetics of pellets are a little bit different. And pharmacokinetics means the way the drugs are absorbed and the way the body recognizes them. Um, I like pellets because you don't even have to think about them. All you need to do is just go about your daily life and take your progesterone at night. And how often do you put them in? Women about every three, half four months and men about every four to five months. And it, there can be a lot of, um, if a man is really a super exerciser or under a significant amount of stress and he can demonstrate that his testosterone levels lower quickly, we'll administer a little bit more often, but we're kind of careful about, about how much testosterone. And the cost of these pellets? Um, to the patient, the the cost the, the, I can talk about that after after the at the break. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, so you know anybody that's been listening to this show is thinking, holy cow! I mean, this this is a man who has clearly spent the last what two, twenty
2: twenty years two
1: decades studying these uh, th- this literature that's not obviously easy for the rest of us to find or digest or understand it would seem like it might be difficult to get into this type of practice so how can a patient who's listening let's say not here determine whether or not their uh, practitioner because it's not always a physician administering this type of therapy is qualified to do so because this can be a money maker for people as well right this is a cash-based practice many times and to me as a physician i am always wary of people seeking medical advice from someone who hasn't been adequately trained, but I don't even know
2: what adequately trained means. I mean, that's a that's a real quandary for patients, isn't it? And, and referring physicians, um, I would look for a national certification um, in pellet therapy. I would look for additional medical training and certainly uh, a, a lot of extensive educational background. And, and what, where, where have you been to school to learn about this? Was it a weekend course? How many courses do you do a year? I mean, I in the last month I've been to three different courses. Um, I. I either take or teach teacher course every month in hormonal medicine somewhere. I'm mentoring five physicians um, and um, several nurse practitioners and we're actually becoming more training-oriented toward other people. This is coming from the, the Forward Thinking Academy. There's an academy called the Academy of um, Preventative and Innovative Medicine that actually goes into the literature and really analyzes this very, very carefully. Uh, they're frequently made fun of by traditional doctors. And who was the famous Belgian poet Maurice Maeterlinck that said that for every progressive spirit in medicine, there is there are 1,000 mediocre minds that want to guard the past. Wow! What a what a thing! What an incredible thing to to, to realize that was said 100 years ago. Things change slowly, and a lot of the studies are that are being done. Uh, are going to show what we're telling you about because we're already seeing, especially relative to thyroid disease too.
0: Dr. Neil Bolman, our patients and our listeners want to know, I'm I'm a little afraid of the palate. I I don't want something inserted
2: or implanted into me. Why not pills? That's a great question. We use all modalities of therapy. I particularly like oral estradiol. There seems to be a bias against uh, oral estradiol, but if you think about it, it is a marvelous medicine to reduce hard and soft plaques, which really reduces heart attack, stroke, and dementia. Well, my goodness, isn't that the name of the game? That's really important. We use a lot of oral estradiol. We only use oral progesterone. Unfortunately, and it's very discriminatory against women, there is no FDA-approved testosterone for women short of a medicine called Estratest, which is an old medicine, and nobody uses it anymore. And I'm hoping over the next decade, there will be more products approved for women that will have testosterone in them. Until then, we have to prescribe it off-label, meaning that we're actually giving you testosterone in a different form, uh, compounded creams. We watch, the, we watch the levels. And if anything, patients feel significantly better. There can be side effects, of course, and those side effects are easily managed. Let's talk about contraindications sure. for hormonal therapy. Sure. Because
0: obviously right. there have to be some. Let's
2: talk about, let's talk about estradiol. All
0: right, let's talk about estradiol.
2: All right, so if the patient has, um, if the patient has active endometrial cancer and it's not addressed or undiagnosed vaginal bleeding uh, or an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer that's been diagnosed, we shy away from any estrogen and should not be giving those estrogens due to the fostering. Um, And those are your major or or another one would be an active uh, deep thrombosis, for example. and those are the, the estrogenic, the, the estradiol contraindications. Testosterone has contraindications of male breast cancer, prostate cancer, and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But yet I have a lot of male patients who have had
0: prostate cancer right. who are on hormonal therapy per their urologist.
2: You want to explain that? Well, what type of
0: hormones? Testosterone.
2: It is perfectly perfectly safe to do that. We have several patients who have had prostatic cancer treated. Um, I would always want to do this with the urologist's permission, but it is now pretty accepted nationally that those patients have undergone definitive therapy, have radiation therapy, and they've had uh, prostatectomies, robotic or otherwise, and their PSAs remain virtually undetectable, and it's done so for a period of time. It's perfectly permissible for that patient to go on testosterone. Migraine headache with aura. Um, let me just, that's a great question. I will tell you that if you take a 40 year old patient with migraines and you put a six milligram estradiol pellet in her, she will never complain of a migraine ever again, because the estrogen levels do not fluctuate, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Um, postmenopausal, I don't think it has a whole lot of uh, effect.
0: Even even if they have the aura? Uh, Correct. Okay. well, well, okay. there there's something to do what, for what, for us to. What are the other on? I,
2: I do want to qualify one other answer I gave about estrogen. You want to make sure that if a patient has active active epilepsy, you are very very cautious in administration of estrogen because of course, the uh, seizure threshold is lowered in patients with uh, with estrogen, so you have to be very careful with patients.
0: So if they're on a combination of drugs, let's say they're on gabapentin, and they're on a tricyclic or, let's say, an SSRI, which already lowers your seizure threshold. Right. And then you're adding estrogen. It lowers it
2: even further. Yes, and you have to be really careful with that. I I, Fortunately, we don't see a lot of active seizure patients. I don't in my practice. I try to uh, go to, other, go to other, other modalities.
1: So I want to take it back a little bit because we've been really technical this whole show, which I appreciate because I kind of feel like now that patients know we have a podcast, they can go back and re-listen to the show and you know, kind of review some of the stuff that seemed too heavy for the first time around. Um, so a lighter note that I just want to talk about for a minute is uh, I came to your office uh, a couple months ago, I would say, and I asked you a question um, that I think that young physicians like myself probably kind of need to hear the answer to. I asked you uh, if aging, if getting older and kind of experiencing the this, this slower, the slowdown of, you know, mood and other symptoms in the body is normal, Oh, what do you, what is your response to that? You know, if, if it's normal to have hot flashes after menopause, if it's normal to not be able to do things the way that you did when you were younger, how are we supposed, should we change the way we think about aging? And your response to me was when you're 60, you will not be asking the question. That <laughs> <day."> <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. A so, lot of
2: our younger physicians that are so biased to get hormones because, let's face it, they've been taught incorrectly. They've, they've been not taught get incorrectly a, and yes. they
1: probably haven't suffered.
2: And right? when, when they start suffering <laughs> in their 50s and 60s and they gain that weight and they've got that brain fog and they're so tired they can't go to work and they're, they, um, they, they have no sex drive at all. Their marriages are deteriorating. They'll come ask for our help. And by the way, what we're doing is grounded in science. Everything I'm saying today, I will go to court with.
1: Yeah, and um, I can tell you, I can tell you that as a, as, as a physician who uses your services quite a bit for my patients, with many mutual patients. I mean, I'm always, it, it, I have a little chuckle because I'll send people over and you send them right back for management of their hypertension. You send them right to the urologist if the PSA is out of range. I mean, I really feel like you have a very responsible view. And I, I imagine that comes from the... It comes you, from
2: just, just years of medical years practice. And years and years of medical practice. And, and, right. and being careful. You, have, you cannot be careful enough with the patient of what can go wrong with this patient. And she going to experience a, he or she, a side effect that can be anticipated and front run with medication too. It just takes a lot of training. You don't learn this overnight. It's not, a, it's not a weekend course. If you The question you ask, if you have a practitioner, oh, I took a weekend course, that practitioner is not trained, even if they're a skilled OBGYN or endocrinologist. You have to have years of experience to do this. And uh, anybody can do it if they just put their mind to it and they, they do it consistently. Is there a stopping point? How old is too old? Great question. I just pelleted a 94 year old patient
1: because she had
2: she had an 81 year old boyfriend. And boy, was she happy. He was too, right? So, um, the question, you know, my, people frequently ask me, what can, I, do I, can I be on this at age 60? Because my doctor says I have to go off hormones at age 60. Really? Where where, is that in the literature anywhere? Is that when you start making your nursing home reservation or you start using yoga or massage techniques? Or, you know, the question is answered in one thing. When do you want to feel bad? If you want to feel bad at 60, stop your hormones. If you want to feel great and continue to have a great marriage, sleep better, look younger, feel better, um, and have all the energy that you need and weight control, Hormones are definitely part of the answer because essentially the only thing different about Leanne at age what you will be when you're 35 versus 70 is environmental insult, dietary insults, and, um, and lack of hormones because your hormones will begin to deteriorate. Even by the age of 35, a woman is already lost with testosterone for the most part. Her, her receptors have aged. So when I see a patient with PMS in their 30s, I love to use testosterone cream with them to all the levels. Raise them. I put them on progesterone, and their PMS magically disappears. It when when they get perimenopausal, those are the ones who are quite difficult, more difficult to enjoy.
0: And I hear this a lot from my female patients. But doctor, you're putting me on testosterone, and it says right here that it's not indicated in women, but it's not contraindicated
2: in women. That that's correct. Um, how do you want to feel? Do you want to feel great? Do you want a lot of energy? Do you want you do you want to get the benefits of testosterone? Do you want weight loss? Do you want, do you want to continue to feel well? So there's that fine line of women feeling better with
0: testosterone or developing a little frontal hair loss and some chin hair. Where's that fine line? The- you know?
2: We looking at about for those for those patients, we're looking at about a five percent five to ten percent incidence of facial hirsutism, fear in the face, some degree of hair loss, which by the way is only one if you if you see hair loss in a woman, it's not from testosterone. It is actually from untreated thyroid disease. If those patients are treated appropriately and managed, their their hair grows back, particularly with nutritional support. Um, and And you can make a woman feel you know significantly better with that.
1: So you have been practicing against the tide for as long as you've been doing this, I can imagine. I'm a rebel. Do you feel, do you feel things shifting? Do you feel that our community acceptance of what you do by other physicians is changing?
2: Where is it going? It's a, it's a slow process, isn't it? I have to constantly send faxes back and saying, this is how that this is currently being taught in the AMA accredited courses. Are you taking AMA, AMA American Medical Association approved courses? If not, Here's a short synopsis of what you need to know to be a better practitioner. Uh-huh.
1: So you, you as an individual, are obviously inspiring leagues of patients who feel better and are tell, coming back and telling their physicians I'm, that they feel better. How, how can, how is this going to change in the next decade? What's going to happen? Are physicians eventually going to get on board? Are patients going to make other physicians get on board?
2: It's it's taken off like wildfire across the country. Uh, pellets have been around since 1938, and with the advent of permanent. Pellet therapy in the United States went down in the nineteen forties and has remained low. It's coming back. It was emphasized in Australia and Europe for many, many years, and it's coming back with a vengeance because it works.
1: So, so we're just going to have to, uh, you know, physicians are going to hear their patients saying, "I feel better." You need, you need to get on board with what I'm doing, and then that's going to drive physicians actually seeking the literature that
2: you say is currently in existence? Absolutely, okay. absolutely.
0: We, we could donate a whole show to this next question, but I just want a, like a two-minute synopsis. Okay, how does thyroid tie in with hormonal therapy?
2: Wonderful question. I see a tremendous number of patients that come to me on Synthroid or levothyroxine and and they wonder why they feel bad. And you consult the literature, particularly in patients over 50, there is no benefit to levothyroxine over the age of 50. And I didn't say that. The the New England Journal of Medicine published an article several years ago that's referenced on my website about levothyroxine. Um, 80% of patients will feel better on different thyroid medicines Uh, such as Armour Thyroid or other desiccated thyroids. And it makes a whole difference in the way they feel. Patients feel better on different medications, and we need to stop utilizing medications that don't work.
0: So desiccated thyroid, Armour Thyroid, thyroid extract, because they raise both T4 and T3, and T3 is that active thyroid hormone. Yes. Yes.
2: Do you use TSH as a guideline at all? The TSH is the most misunderstood and misinterpreted test in medicine. It's a, it's only it's a great for diagnosis, but not for management, and we do not. We want to drive that TSH quite low. We all do it for patients with thyroid malignancies. Nothing wrong with it. It's a biologically active hormone, just like T4 is. So the number doesn't really
0: matter. It's like an on-off
2: switch. It's the free T3 that makes the difference. That's the, that's the biologically active thyroid hormone.
0: So you truly are Ponce de Leon. You truly have discovered
2: the fountain of youth. I never want to advertise anything about aging. I think aging is quite uh, is, a, is a difficult subject. So aging is not, not part That's of the That's because you truly mind. are
0: the portrait of Dorian Gray. Hmm. Oh. You don't age. Well. So if our patients want to get a hold of you
2: directly, can they? They can call my office and your office number is is 772-220-8766.
1: Well, we have just been overjoyed to have you here, and uh like I said, this has been one of our most technically heavy shows, and we didn't stop. Them. You know, usually, we try, <laughs> usually we try to tone it down because we know the listener isn't necessarily. We didn't you know, need to be ready. here. We Do- did.
0: Doctor Doctor Bowling did the whole show by himself. And
1: here? I think that that's because, like we've talked about a few times, you've had to pioneer a lot of this, and and I think that you know obviously you've you've been successful because anytime you're passionate about learning more and you know pursuing something that you love is when we get best results when patients get best results
2: it makes such a difference for me it changed my life and if you ever can find a doctor who's had to overcome their own health difficulties and use them as a mentor or teacher you I will learn a lot about that doctor's and his knowledge and you'll learn from them. From them. And I, I had low T one time. I don't know.
0: So. You are awesome, my friend, because not only have you educated our audience, but you have educated us.
2: <laughs> oh, you're awesome. So are you, Leanne.
0: We would love to have you back. Right. Thank you okay, so you know much, Dr. Neil Baldwin. Okay, you know come back.
1: Yeah, and I guess I owe you my life.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a lot less biblical now <laughs> than a, she was at birth. is so
1: good so, <laughs> to, oh my goodness. If you need a rerun of any of this information. And as always, we enjoy having our listeners tune in every week for Paradox. I'm Dr. Leanne Talton. Our guest today was Dr. Neil Boland. My co host is Dr. Ira Pearlstein. Thank you so much.
0: We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you. That felt great. That was
2: so really, fun. Was really, yeah. it, really it was, was really you, you like was, the best.
0: I'm the, the,
1: what you think of the you like the best. Oh, really? What? Well, the Dorian Gray. The Dorian Gray.
2: Wow.
0: You, you know who all these other people are? No, let's see if I can figure that out. was
2: oh, fun, right? Yeah, oh, very man. Good. We've kind of got I know, our. I have you got your rhythm. rhythm that's Bob McKenzie. Oh, can I go We have a, of, a good time. Can I give these this. back to you? Yeah. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I, that's my deceased partner, Bob oh. McKenzie. Is that me? Yeah, that's me. That's me. So I'm doing a, a done done? C-section. I know her. I can't remember her name. That's my dear partner, Bob McKenzie.